from the little rascals. Hi, ya pal. <laughs> it's all TV for me. Morning, Mount Zion Church. All those watching online this morning. Come on, why don't we sing and praise and worship this morning?
Hallelujah. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, on behalf of my wife and I, uh, the appreciation we have had for the support in this transition that we will all be going through. And uh, I just want to remind you of something somebody's been telling me as uh, December 31st will be my last Sunday here. Somebody told me a long time ago, hey, if God's getting, this was in the beginning of this, God will take care of you wherever you go. And if he's going to take you and move you somewhere else, don't you think he's going to take care of Mount Zion Church too? And I said, well, yeah, just not as good. <laughs> but I was really worried and I just get this feeling like God has is, is been doing something all through this. And please be in prayer for your board and the board members that, that have a lot of work ahead of them. And uh, especially leading up to January, uh, business meeting coming soon in January. You'll have a date soon. I think it's, it's the last Sunday in January probably, right? You haven't decided yet. Well, they get to decide that. I don't. So God bless them. Please keep them in prayer. Hey, just a reminder that our happy New Year's Eve day service is at 1015. We will be downstairs and we will have breakfast together and we will have service together. And uh, this morning I was, I was in prayer, my morning devotions, and this past week I've been trying to figure out what do I want to say that last Sunday, December 31st? And I'm not going to give the whole message, but you know what I found I came across was um, uh, keeping big dreams alive. It was the very first message I did here in Mount Zion Church 12 years ago. And so I'm going to be uh, referring to some of that and then also uh, putting some words of insight to each one of you and encouragement. Similar to the way Paul would leave a letter to one of the churches. I want to kind of give you my letter to Mount Zion Church as well. So that's on December 31st, 1015 downstairs. Also, please keep Virgie in prayer. She, uh, you know, that woman, she's crazy. She's in the hospital with COVID. She was in the hospital with a, a broken back. She had a cracked back vertebrae. And every time I talk to her, she goes, well, I'm so glad you called, Pastor, because I wanted to encourage you with... She's not even, that, all she wants to do is encourage others, and she does not like being stuck in that bed. So Virgie, if you're watching online this morning, we love you, and we are praying for you. And the best thing you can do to encourage Virgie, use her resource table back there. Grab those items that you feel God uh, can speak to you through. There's all tons of stuff back there for free. Grab it if you can. That would make her day. Also, I was talking to Hugh this morning. Eva's doing better. Yeah? Yeah, she is. Good. So continue to lift up Eva. What? She's walking. Well, there you go. Good for her. Good for her. And praise God for that. That reminds me, remember when you would ask, how are they doing? Well, they're walking and talking. They've had some cake. It <laughs> just reminds me of. Well, keep Eva in your prayers, and uh, specifically that the pain would, would subside. You know, she deals with very, sensi- very sensitive to pain, and, and uh, keep her in prayer. Also, Jerry Caton, keep him in prayer. Man, that guy, he's falling apart, and we just need to keep, God's going to keep him together. He's a pit bull. He won't let, it's a competition for him with health, so you just keep him in prayer, and that would be wonderful. Uh, anything you guys need to announce, or anything that you know, or... Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good to have you all here. 
As many of you know, we are transitioning a pastor here. So um, just give you an idea of what the board's been doing as far as everything going. So a lot of our focus right now is just really looking at what it's going to look like as far as the, you know, basically when Pastor Eric leaves on the 31st. Of course, we want to keep the church going. So what we're doing is we're lining up speakers for the pulpit, um, basically from January on for a few months as far as it goes. We're lining up what we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights. We're getting our, I mean, all the boring stuff that we're doing, like changing bank accounts, uh, computer permissions, <laughs> so many things. And as you can only imagine from your own stuff, how many computer applications there are and all those other things as far as going on. So really that's what we're working on is basically one of our main goals is transitioning so that we have good services come January and basically we're able to carry on what we're doing right now. Of course, there'll be somebody else different in the pulpit as far as that goes. Kind of makes sense. We'll probably give you more details as we go on, but overall big picture right now for this next month, we're working on what it's going to be like for basically we want to obviously have a great send off for Pastor Eric and Pastor Debbie. That's our number one goal. Number two is getting the church in a position. So that way we transition smoothly into when he's gone in January. And then generally what goes on, as I talked about last week, is there'll be a several month process more than likely before we really start in earnest a basically a search for a pastor. Does that kind of make sense to everybody? So in other words, we don't want to have your expectations that there's going to be a new pastor here January 1 of this upcoming year. It generally takes a few months to get that done. Uh, we'll have a little more information on who's going to be uh, filling the pulpit, but we are kind of looking at some internal sources here. we got some internal, very uh, very qualified individuals internally that can take the pulpit and do some preaching for the while and also do the Wednesday nights. So I just wanted to give you that information for now, and then we'll have more information as we go on. All right. God bless you all. Great. Thank you, Bob. Keep the board in prayer. They're doing a great job. And uh, why don't we take a five, five minutes or even less uh, to meet and greet one another. <laughs>
And good morning to everybody online. This is me without a head. <laughs> Just, where is it right here? Is it right here? I have no head. And if Maverick's watching, good morning. Welcome to the Papa Show. All right. God bless you. Thank you for paying such close attention to the countdown. Appreciate it. Oh, did we do this song? No, we haven't. Here we go. I was just sharing on uh, the people online. My my grandson Maverick. Uh, my grandson Maverick likes to watch service online. He, so no offense to God and no offense to Mount Zion Church, but he calls it the Papa Show. So, Maverick, welcome to the Papa Show this morning, if you're watching. You know, God bless you. I want to encourage you in your giving this season. You can never outgive God. And I think he challenges us in this area all the time. You know, I'm not one to preach a lot about tithing, but if you look in the New Testament versus Old Testament, Jesus always makes it tougher for everything. Everything. You say uh, that if, if I, I commit adultery, it, it, you know, that broken the law, and Jesus goes, oh yeah, well, I say that if you even lust into your eyes with a woman, you've committed adultery. Well, it's the same thing in our worship with the offering. Yes, he endorsed the tithe, but he, I think he was more concerned with a generous heart. So this morning, I hope you have a generous heart. There's a lot going on with people right now, and our benevolence fund needs money, but we also need, you know, there's going to be speakers coming in, coming up. There's going to be bills that still need to be paid. They're going to have to pay for gas and sometimes speaking arrangements. There's expenses when you don't have a senior pastor. Please keep that in mind with the church. Also, there's just a couple weeks left to get into your end-of-the-year giving, the last chance you get to get that, that donation in December 31st. Please be in prayer about that as well. Like I said, just do what God tells you to do. Don't worry about me. Just worry about you and God and how you worship him in this way. So if you allow me to pray over the offering, I appreciate it. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that we can worship you in this tangible way to show our priority is you in our lives. That you're the most important thing we, we, we have in our lives, God. And we want our checkbooks to show it. We want our calendars to show it. We want our life to show it. So, Father, as people give sacrificially, will you show up in a powerful way to who you are as you open up the storehouses for those that are especially taking a step of faith that maybe they haven't done before. And, Father, for those that are struggling right now financially, God, do, do a miracle of provision in their lives. Let it be a testimony that says, I, 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 I knew that, that God was going to take care of me, so I, I gave and, and I couldn't believe the blessing that God has brought. And for those, God, who have a heart to give but just aren't there in their faith, increase their faith this morning. Help them to step out and bless this offering. Give the board and staff wisdom in delegating those funds and in spending those funds for the good of your kingdom. And God, we just thank you for the hearts of everyone here today who I know who are generous. In Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Amen. Oh, absolutely.
Thanks, Bob. Yeah, I'm not going to remember to say that. I'm not going to remember to say that. Thank you, Bob. Why don't we stand? Book of Deuteronomy says to stand in the presence of royalty.
and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing on that fence of whether to step out in faith and believe. I pray this morning for all those that have doubted you so much. And maybe this morning their hearts will be a little softer. Their ears will be a little bit more ready to listen. Oh God, we need you in so many ways. 
service this morning, Father. Plow through our hearts and move us. Let your word speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. I heard something today that has been a challenge to me. Actually, I heard it Yes, No, it wasn't today. It was, I don't know, what's today? Sunday. So it was Friday, I think. I think it was Friday. Well, wait, before I do that, I got big praise of the Lord. So I, uh, you guys know my, my back issues, um, my issues. I, I got a call on Monday, and I got to get a, a back procedure done on Wednesday. Yeah, just like that, they had a cancellation. And when she went in there with, with this, on the right side with this needle, I mean, it hurt. It put me right through the roof. And she goes, oh, good. Like, what kind of sadistic doctor do I have? And she said, no, that means I'm hitting the spot. And so she said, you're going to be sore for four or five days. Oh, she was right. And then uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll know if that, if that took. But it was a big praise of the Lord. Because what's been happening, they can only do it every six months. And of course, the way it's worked out for me is I never hit it on the deductible. This is the first one I hit on the deductible, so I was so happy, and it happened Wednesday, so praise the Lord for that. So getting back to, the, uh, I think it was like Thursday or Friday, I heard a guy, who was, I think he was 89 years old, and he was preaching, and he was talking about the fact that, that there's too many teachers in the pulpit, and I've, and, I, and I've done that. I mean, I've said, hey, today's more of a teaching than a preaching message. There's nothing wrong with that. But he was saying in general, and he gave a great definition. He said the difference between teaching and preaching is teaching gives you knowledge. But preaching should move you. And letting the word of God move you. There's nothing wrong with teaching. We need to learn and study the book. But during your preaching, he said, preachers, is the word of God moving? So just as I'm praying that God will work through me, I pray for you too that you're praying that God's word this morning would move you and not just teach you. Isn't that a great? I'd, I'd never, had you heard that before, Bob? I had never heard that either. Great, great guy. Uh, but man, he was fired up, you know, 89 years old. He was screaming at that camera. It was awesome. So this morning we are experiencing Christmas uh, part three with taste and see. Do you taste what I taste? Now in my home, we uh, typically Christmas in, in, when, when I was growing up was in a Norwegian home. And those of you who are Norwegians know we celebrate Christmas Eve. That was all. And, and there were some great things about Christmas Eve. And there were some not so great things about celebrating on Christmas Eve. Great thing is we got to open up our presents a day earlier than all our friends. The bad thing was we get all those presents laid out, open them all up, and then a parent said, okay, you can play with them tomorrow. Go to bed. You're like, what? <laughs> so I was trying to think of some of the things we ate at Christmas. And one of my, some of my favorite things, I was just talking to John and Sarah about this at the Senior Potluck, is one, it doesn't sound good, but it's really good. It's called krumkaka. 
I know it has caca in the language, but it doesn't mean that. It's a, uh, like a waffle thin, like a, like a crepe thin um, uh, cookie that is rolled. And in, in Norway, it's even better because they stuff it with buttercream, which is awesome. And so they put that in there. That's krumkaka. The other thing is, is lefse. Have you had lefse, John? Lefse is like undercooked dough with uh, butter and cinnamon and sugar. So these Norwegians really know how to cook, it's, right? And then, but, but my favorite was always, well, we also had uh, something we called the peanut butter cheese. And it's this brown, it's goat cheese. It's a brown goat cheese. It looked like peanut butter, but it was really good. But at Christmas time, the most fun food was the, um, the it's, it's a rice pudding is what it is. And it's, why am I skipping my name? What is it? The porridge. Uh, oh, I know you know it, John, if I said it. And I'm, I'm just, uh, not Lefsa, not, it's, it's um, oh, I will remember it in the middle of my message and a big light bulb will go off. But it's, it's really great pudding. And what they do, it takes all day, they boil rice and milk all day long. And then they would put butter and butter and cinnamon and sugar. It's a perfect diet. Um, and then they would put it in a bowl. And in one of the bowls was hidden a, uh, an almond. And whoever got the almond got a present. And so I remember my dad always teasing me, where he go, oh, mm, I think I swallowed the almond, he would say. <laughs> and I would always feel bad. And when we got the pudding, we would always go, oh, it's Rusengrat, Rusengrat. And uh, we would get the Rusengrat, and I would do this, try to find the, the almond first, and uh, really enjoyed that, that type of food. Sharing a meal at Christmas was always at my, um, in my grandparents' house at my dad's side, we called them Bestamore and Bestafar. And um, Bestafar being my grandfather and Bestamore. And uh, I remember smelling all the foods, the big trimmings, and my grandfather was thin as a rail. But he would mound, and I'm not, I'm, you know me, I exaggerate a lot on stories, but this is not an exaggeration. It would be that high piled up on the plate. And it was a thing of beauty to watch him eat because he enjoyed the whole thing, and he was always thin as a rail. So food was a, a big deal growing up in the Norwegian home because it would take for, well, as a kid, especially at Christmas, it took forever because we couldn't open up the presents until we were done with dinner. So you sit down and you first have the Rusengat. Uh, then they brought out the, uh, the, what is the world is the jello with the carrots in it? What is, and it's gross. It's gross. They made us eat that. And then they would bring out a salad, and we had to have the salad. And then finally the main dinner, dinner would come, and we'd go, okay, can we open it? No, no, you've got to wait till after dessert. And so then we'd wait for the after, in the Norwegian home, the after dinner drinks had to come out in a big tray, and, and uh, we would always do that. And then finally the dessert, and then my sister and I would get up and distribute all the presents. So it was a big, big deal of anticipating that, anticipating we get to open up the presents. We would get all prepared. You know, we'd figure out where everybody's going to sit, and my sister and I would put all the presents in front of their chairs, and this anticipation was, was really, I believe, what Advent season is all about. It's about us thinking in terms of before Jesus came to this earth, imagine the time, and, and you're thinking of, of all these prophecies that you may have heard growing up if you were in a Jewish home, and you would hear these things, and you would be anticipating and anticipating and anticipating and I think it's that's what he wants us to celebrate is that Jesus Christ our Lord is coming to save 
And then we are anticipating that day that we celebrate when salvation came to this earth. Our king came in flesh. And it's beautiful. And I never want to lose that sense of anticipation. And that, that, and, and that children, when they are making room for that desire, is a great teaching time. If you have small ones and they're just waiting to open up those presents, think about Christmas. We've been given the permission to do the same thing, that this is the feeling, the desire of to celebrate. Think about the food at Mount Zion Church. It's important, amen? That's right. If we don't eat, right, see? Food is important in churches. Food is important all throughout the Bible, I mean, Jesus loved to sit around with a meal. In fact, if you remember when, when he had already, uh, he had gone away and he was coming back and he was sitting by the shore and the guys were in the fish. What is he doing? He's cooking breakfast. This is the first time Peter sees him after denying him three times. He's cooking breakfast. Think of the importance of the Last Supper, you know, and think of the first miracle at a wedding banquet. I mean, he talks about the banquet in heaven. He talks about food is an important part. And Psalm 34, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we'll have the verses up there, but Psalm 34 was written during a time in which David was running away from Saul. Saul was inflamed with jealousy to kill David. And there was a couple of times that David had to seek refuge, and this, we believe, is the first time when this psalm was being written that David was escaping from Saul's uh, attack. David barely escaped with his life. He just barely had gotten away. And he knew that he shouldn't have been hiding amongst the Philistines, the enemies. So when he was able to escape from Saul, from the Philistines, he was just grateful to God. You ever been in one of those situations? You know when I think of that? When the car, I think, is broken down, right? And someone takes a look at it and goes, oh, it's just this loose wire right there. You go, oh, thank God. It's that feeling that, Paul, that, 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 uh, that David has, that, oh, thank God. David's gratitude is seen all through this psalm. So looking at verse 1, and now let me warn you ahead of time, some of you are going to hear old songs in this psalm. Many people, many churches, and many hymn writers have used this psalm. Psalm 34, I'm going to read the first four verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make it boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You can just hear the joy in David's voice. I mean, you can't really, you, you know, this is, David was a musician, right? This is, this, I knew that was going to shock me. Um, you can't, you know this is a happy, happy song. And I, I, I mean, you could sing it with maybe a G or a C. I will bless the Lord at all times. Right? You could sing something like that. Or you could do a fast song. A, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue. You could do that. But what you couldn't do, it, this would not be the attitude. And that's why I wanted to make this emphasis. You wouldn't do. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, my soul shall make boast unto the Lord. Right, it doesn't work. 
So you know that, that David is thinking joy. He is not thinking lament. And he's excited about what God has done and rescued him out of. Oh Lord, I pray that we never lose sight of all the things you have rescued us out of. Amen? So he says, full of praise to the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will be continually out of his mouth. Right, Susan? <laughs> that is Susan, isn't it, right there? <laughs> all the time. The Lord heard me and delivered me from all of my fear. This is an amazing boast. I mean, this is a great evangelistic tool. Think about it. If someone says, why do you go to church? Why do you believe in that Jesus Christ anyway? And I would just say, because, I, because my soul will make boasts in the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5, he says, they looked to him. Those that looked to him were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. Just for a second, think, what does that mean? The radiant, you can just see it. You know, I, I wish I'd thought about this earlier, but I have a picture of my daughter, Alicia. Mm. She used to teach second grade in our Sunday schools when she was older. And then she used to teach in Fresno at this, uh, the projects. She would go into the projects and do uh, after-school things with the kids. And these are kids dealing with their dad was murdered last night, mom overdosed, they, you know, they don't know where they're going. And she's dealing with little kids all the time. And she has this one picture of her holding this kid, and she is radiant. She is beaming. And I went, oh my gosh, look at that. Look at how much she loves that. And then when I saw a picture of her and Dominic, she had that same look. I said, Deb, she's going to marry that guy. Look at the radiant. You know how you can see it on some people's faces sometimes? And that's what this, this psalm is saying. Look at When we see it, do we realize that if somebody's looking at you, and, and you can put your name in there, and you can put your name in there and say, is, are you radiant? Are your faces radiant with what God is doing? It says they looked to him, meaning to God. They looked to him. Now, <laughs> if anybody's ever said that to you, hey, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you to take care of that. Or how about in football, right? What pressure they put. Come on, we're all looking to you to get the job done. It's all up to you. What does that mean? It's all, I'm looking to you. That means we're going to depend on that person. That's what it means. I'm looking to God. I'm looking to him. It's a lot of pressure, but listen, it says when we look to God with saying, you're going to do this, you're going to take care of this, you're, I'm going to put my, my life in your hands, it says that those who look to God, our faces are radiant. He's talking about those who are utterly depending on the Lord. So Here's what the, I'm going to come back to this question. I want to insert this question right here. Is there anything in your life that right now you're lacking? And just think of something that was the first thing that comes to your mind. What am I lacking? I want to come back to that. It could be patience. Are you lacking provision, a job, relationship? Maybe you need a healed relationship. We all have things in our lives at some time or another that we lack. But here's the point. Are we looking to God to meet that need. Are we looking to him? I'm counting on you, God. Because David says the Lord's, who, the, those who look upon the Lord are radiant and their faces are never ashamed. Those who are depending on the Lord, they're saying, God, I need you now in this situation. And that's the question we all have to ask. Are you going to take care of it on your own? Or are you going to work it out yourself? 
Or are you going to look to the Lord? I look at my, you know, it's, at some point we've got to grow up as baby Christians, amen? But I, I, I hear my grandson, Maverick, saying that all the time. I can do it. I do it. I do it. And, and Alicia or Dominic, no, no, I'm trying to help you. I can do it. Right? And, and, and we, we feel like that's how it's supposed to be. But, but Christianity isn't a, a self-help organization. We're utterly dependent upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? It's kind of like waiting on the Lord in some sense when you're looking to God to take care of something. But waiting on the Lord should never be misconstrued. Some people think it should be just, I'm just going to sit there twiddle my thumbs. Like a waiting room when you're in a doctor's office. You're in the waiting room. What do you do in a waiting room? Nothing. Right? You have to watch some bad afternoon television or morning TV, and you don't hear the sound anyway, but you watch it anyway because there's nothing else to do. That's not the kind of waiting we're talking about. Some people do that too, right? Well, I prayed, and I want the Lord to bring me a job, so I'm going to sit at home and watch Prices Right until I get a job. That's my plan. I'm just going to wait for that phone to ring. Because if I do anything to interfere with that, I might circumvent what God's going to do in my life. So I need to just wait on God. The possibilities, maybe if I step out, if I step out in faith in my own strength, and, and, and I don't want to be tempted to do that, but, but if I step out and believe in the Lord's going to provide, listen, if I do this, then I might mess it up for God. And that's not the point that David's trying to make here. When we step out in faith, we're going to believe the Lord's going to provide. In other words, I need a job, so I'm going to get out there. I'm going to get my resume out there. I'm going to fill out some applications. See, we have this biblical principle that most of us know. It says, no worky, no eaty. But you're going to trust that God is going to provide. I'm looking to the Lord to do this. I'm going to wait on the Lord to take care of me. The best way to look at waiting on God is not as a waiting room in the doctor's office. It's to look at it as a waiter at your table waiting on you. What does a waiter do when he waits on you? He's serving you. And that's what God wants us to do when we're waiting on him. Let's serve the Lord with gladness. In verse 6, he goes on to say, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard me and saved him out of his trouble. David's talking in the third person. This poor man, <laughs> the Lord has heard him and saved me out of my troubles. David's talking about himself. He refers to himself as the poor man. And he's acknowledging without resource to bring about, that he needs God to bring about his rescue. It's one of the most important revelations we can come to in our lives. That we are poor. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. We are poor. And when we have that, it's, it's a course of saying, I'm delighted to be poor because all of my reliance is on the Lord. I'm delighted in my poverty. I'm delighted with the fact that God's abundance and provision is found in his word and in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you haven't found that kind of joy, then maybe you haven't been the kind of willing vessel this, to say, God, I am in utter poverty. That you have begun to really, God, move in my life, and I want your abundance. And I want to know that my joy comes from you, and it comes from resting in the Lord. 
But it begins with understanding that we don't bring anything to the table. The supper of the lambs in the, of the lamb, when we get to heaven, we have that big banquet that God's preparing for us. It is not going to be a potluck. God will provide. All right, so let's look at this. Um, Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and delivers him. This is going to be the first of several verses where David makes this reference, fearing the Lord. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? I know I struggled this for this a long time. It's kind of hard to explain sometimes. If, if someone said, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Because I, I remember several years ago, way back before I was here at Mount Zion Church, I had a guy come up to me about after a message I was doing, and I, I was talking about fearing the Lord, and he had some issues with fearing the Lord. He said, I don't know if I really agree with that. I'm like, well, it's right here in the Word. He said, but I don't think we should fear God at all. I mean, the Lord would disagree with that because he says it over and over again in his world, but he's thinking of fear in a negative sense. Now, I don't blame him. It's the same God that we sing. He's a good, good father, right? He's a good father, but let's be afraid of him. It's not like that. A new person, Lord, might think because they, they think of fear, we always think of, well, fear is something we're afraid of. They think of getting sick. Many people are afraid of disease or sickness or death or crime, tragedy happening, storms or demons. The bad kind of fear, bad fear. So when I think of fearing God in that context, it seems out of place of a loving father. If fear is a bad thing, how come it tells me to fear the Lord? Remember the book of Genesis? Remember when, uh, in the beginning, when Adam and Eve, right, when they messed up, they ate of the tree? Of the they were supposed, not supposed to eat that stuff? And so they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the cool, in the garden, and it says they ran and they hid. When they were finally called out of their hiding places, they said to God, we knew you were coming, and we were afraid. That's not the kind of fear that God is talking about when he says, fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord always has a positive effect on our lives. It's not being afraid of God in the sense of, I'm afraid things have been going too good. Things are going really good right now. I'm just waiting for that other shoe to drop. It's going to get bad at some point. I'm afraid if I, if I have any more, in fact, God, don't bless me with anything else because I know the next thing is going to fall apart. I think sometimes people think, okay, I'm just going to wait for something bad to happen. Then I go, okay, I can move on now. Kind of like when you buy a new car and you get that first scratch. It's kind of like, ah, oh, well, at least I knew that was coming. At least it's over with that first scratch. It's a kind of a relief. That's not the kind of fear that God wants us to have either. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here, the fear of the Lord speaks of good intention, an open heart towards the counsel of God, meaning I, I'm, I'm going to fear the Lord and I'm, I'm ready to receive what he has for me. But somebody who doesn't properly fear the Lord, the Bible calls a fool. And they're going to despise wisdom and instruction because they're not open to it, because they don't have the proper fear of the Lord. It really is quite the responsibility of preachers in the world today 
to preach the whole gospel. Because what happens is if we don't teach this kind of teaching, then it's always going to be about the person sitting in the pew. It's always going to be about us. It's always going to be the focus on, I need to have my life better. I need to have everything go good. I need everything wonderful. And I'm afraid that God's just not going to bless me, so I don't really listen to him when it comes to this. But God is saying that when you fear the Lord, it's the beginning of knowledge. And what's and knowledge and wisdom, we know knowledge, you collect stuff. Wisdom, you actually do it, right? It's a big difference. In the Greek, when we get to the New Testament, it starts talking about fear of the Lord. And it refers to this reverential fear, to revere God, the kind of fear the early church had. Acts chapter 9, verse 11 says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. In the same phrase we hear, fear the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit. We have a positive connotation of fearing the Lord. That's what David's talking about in verse 7 when he says, the angel of the Lord encamps those around who fear him and delivers him. The fear of the Lord brings out gratitude in which are all good things. Book of Proverbs, Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Okay, so Psalm 34 moves us on, but before we move on, understand that the fear of the Lord, there's also another good kind of fear. I'm afraid of, of breaking God's heart. And that's just purposely sinning. It's a great way to resist temptation, to be honest with you. When I think of temptations that come into my, my life and come in front of me, and I go, you know, I think if I do this, it's going to break God's heart. And I think about it with my kids, right? When you see them make bad choices, it just breaks your heart. But, you know, sometimes they've got to make them and live through the consequences and things have to happen. But it breaks your heart still. You hate to see it. Because it's not God's best. When we fear that, am I substituting what I think is best for God's best? That's a good kind of fear. I'm afraid I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of my own best. Psalm 34, verse 8. Let's move on. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I've always loved this. Because, man, this is, this is the perfect step when it comes to those arrogant challenging people, when it talks about those people who, don't, don't, who just say, ah, I'm not into Christianity, I'm not into religion, I'm not into God. And you just want to go, yeah, but have you even tasted it? It's kind of like when, when my parents made me eat food that I couldn't stand. Have you even tasted it? You know what's funny too? Our tastes can change. I hated asparagus growing up. Hated it. And I use that term literally. <laughs> okay, I mean, I would be forced. To, this was in the days before mom came out and goes, what would you like for dinner? Here's what we had for dinner, what mom made. And uh, she would put that asparagus in front of me, and I, I literally would go, I, would, I mean, I would gag. I couldn't eat it. So they literally got to the point where my mom stopped even trying 
My mom and dad finally gave up on the asparagus thing. And it wasn't until I think it was even after I was married that, that, that we had some, somebody, I think I was, I'm sure it went this way. I don't know for sure. I don't remember this, but I know me. And if I was at my new in-laws or prospective in-laws house and they put asparagus on that plate, guess who was going to go? Oh, this is wonderful, Janet. <laughs> my mother-in-law. And I remember tasting it. Now I'm in my 20s and I go, I really like this. I really like artichokes now. Now, I never liked broccoli, and I never will. But, I, I, but asparagus, I really like now. And this is kind of the challenge to people. They may have grown up in a sense. They may have grown up in a sense and had a bad experience at church. Mom and dad made me go, and that, that was, they were a bunch of criminals anyway. Or I used to go to this church, and they were just a bunch of people talking bad about me. I did this, and I had this happen. And, oh, you know what? If there's a God, then this would happen. They have every excuse in the world. And it may have been for a long time. They said, well, have you tasted it recently? Taste and see. You know, because we'll, we'll get warped images in our heads on, on our other senses. And we've talked about our senses this year more than probably ever. <laughs> but uh, I remember being in fifth grade, in, in, uh, no, sixth grade, Mr. Robach's class. And we were at Camino Pablo Elementary. And we had this thing where we were doing our senses. And, and we had to have a blindfold on, and then we had to smell it, and then we had to taste it. And we had to guess what it was. Okay? And I will never forget this, that they put sugar under my nose. Have you ever smelled sugar? It smells horrible. Smell, sugar does not have a good smell to it. I'm like, oh, yeah. That's why it doesn't say smell and see that God is good. Okay, it's, it, although it does say sweet aroma, but, but, but it does say taste and see. So I remember they, 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 they uh, I couldn't guess what it was, and then I tasted it, boom, I knew it was sugar. And I am so convinced there are people in this world that think that Christianity smells bad. They're so convinced that what somebody has told them or the media has told them, but they haven't had that personal experience and they haven't personally tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know, another version of your Bible might interpret it this way. Taste and prove that the Lord is good. I like what Campbell Murdoch said. It's a quote that, that I read. It said this, Only when his presence touches our hearts can we really know him in that one undeniable way of his unspeakable goodness. It's that personal touch. Taste and see. You have to know him firsthand. You can't say, well, my, my grandmother was a wacko and spoke in tongues and danced around the church. I don't know if I want any part of that. No, taste and see for yourself. Somebody might have been a crummy Christian to you. Somebody online right now, you're only watching online because somebody in church said something. It isn't about them, it's about you and God, amen? There are things that must be loved before we can know them. Things to be believed before we can understand to be worthy of belief. And I know it sounds backwards. The world would say, prove it to me and then I'll believe it. But sometimes you have to believe it and then experience it. Can you imagine trying to convince somebody who had never in their life tasted sugar? How would you define it to them? 
Well, what's it taste like? Well, it's sweet. Well, what's sweet? The opposite of sour? I, I mean, I don't know. How would you describe sugar to somebody? You might be grasping for words. And finally, you know, here, just taste it. This is sugar. That's what it tastes like. When somebody's talking about the goodness of God and you hear those words and you know the definition of good intellectually, but you have not experienced firsthand God's goodness, then it's a foreign concept. So the biblical authors here are challenging, open your mouth and see. <laughs> Let's continue. Okay, I can go on that one forever. Look at this, Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There it is again. Uh, there is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Remember when I asked you that question earlier? What are you lacking? Who are you trusting to fulfill that lack? Here it is. It's those who fear him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want for those who fear him. You lack and suffer nothing. There's the answer. If you are lacking, fear the Lord. Go to him. Psalm 34, verse 11. We're continuing through. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. There it is again. Who is the man who desires, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? What a wonderful promise. He doesn't see any good in their life. Who does? I mean, who doesn't want to see any good in their life? Come, you children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days? That is such a good thing, and he's, he may see good. The fear of the Lord moves upon our hearts and our lives in such a way it brings stability and consistency in our lives. Who desires life, wants to see many days, wants to see good? I want to see good. What's the fastest way to see good in your life? Well, you keep on reading in Psalm 34. Because if you do the opposite of these things, here's the fastest way to do it in life. Keep your tongue from evil. Well, you want to, you want to not see good in your life? You want to see bad in your life? Put evil in your tongue. And your lips from speaking deceit. Speak deceit. Talk bad, bad about people. Talk bad about behind their back. That's not going to be a good life. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. When you do the opposite of those things, you will not see the good in your life. Here's another reason why. It continues on in verse 15. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And he, his ears are open to their cry. We are made righteous, not because we're so cool and great. We're made righteous. We're just filthy rags. Jesus Christ is now, we have received his blood, his sacrifice. We receive his righteousness. And it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. That's brutal, isn't it? <laughs> to cut the, off the remembrance. Of, you won't even be remembered. The evil will not even be remembered. This isn't, and you, do you know, there, there isn't a but in verse 16, but I think there should be a but. Okay, I'll tell you why. Because if you go like this, <laughs> the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. 
But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See what I mean? That's a better area there for me to understand it. So notice there's two words in this. There's towards and against. The eyes of the Lord toward the righteousness. His ears towards their cry. But his face is turned away or against those who do evil. All right, let's, let's continue on. Verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears. Hallelujah. And delivers them out of all their troubles. Hmm. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And he guards all of his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Not one of them is broken. When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. But see, we got to go back to who you're looking to. Who are you looking to to get the job done? Who are you looking to? you got to look to the Lord. The Lord delivers them out, and he keeps all their bones, and not one of them is broken. Listen, I'm going to go back to verse 18 where it says a broken heart. He's close to those. I've said that at more funerals to more grieving people in my whole life. But a broken heart could be from a lot of things, not just the death in the family. And I want you to start thinking, is there an area in your life that, that is broken? And draw near to God as he draws near to you. I've said it to so many people, God is near the brokenhearted. And then look what he admits in verse 19. Do good. Do God's people get out of having troubles in life in verse 19? Verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So obviously we're still going to have issues. And what did Jesus say? He also said, in this world you will have troubles, trials, difficulties. But he said this, but be of good cheer. Because Jesus overcame the world. Can I get an hallelujah on that one? He overcame the world. World. The word says here, the Lord delivers him out of them all. Out of them all. It doesn't say some of them. It doesn't say like here, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of most of them. But he says out of all. Verse 20 says, keep all of his bones and not one of them broken. This is the promise that God's going to keep the righteous man complete. This is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. In John's gospel, we read where normally when, when, when it was getting near the sundown and it was getting near the Sabbath, and so they wanted to make sure these three guys on the cross, Jesus and the two other dudes, were dead. So what they did is they would typically, so they didn't have to hang out, and no pun intended, they didn't have to be there and, and see all these guys on the cross. They would just break their legs and they would suffocate. From, because in order to inhale, they, or no, exhale, they had to push up. Like that. So if they broke the legs, they suffocated. So they went over to the first one, broke his legs, and they went over to the second thief. They broke his legs. But when they came to Jesus, they noticed he was already dead and didn't break a bone. None of his bones will be broken. And that's in the book of John, and that's a quote there from Psalm 34, verse 20. And now after speaking of God's deliverance of the righteous, 
The Bible here says now in verse 21, evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. You and I, as believers, should never take our own revenge for anything that's awful or done to us. From this and so many other passages, the Lord and Jesus Christ is the final judge. He's going to take care of those things and nothing escapes his notice. It says, evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. It doesn't say might be if I feel like it. It says it shall be. There is a judgment to be administered. We will all face judgment in this earth. God's going to do it. The judge of all the earth will do it. And you and I can rest in that, the perfect righteous judge. And when our hearts are filled with vengeance, it's because we're not believing that God's able to do it. But God tells us the wicked are going to be condemned. But what about the righteous? Verse 22, another place where it probably should start with a but. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust shall be condemned. See what I mean? You could go into that verse, the evil shall slay the wicked, those who hate the righteous shall be condemned, but the Lord redeems the souls of, the, of his servants. It's an amazing promise that we're receiving from God. It's not temporary. This is saying that with God's people, condemnation, being condemned, is not going to happen. None of those who trust in him shall be condemned. This is saying that, that over and over in the New Testament, it's like Romans 8, 1, right? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've shared with this in the past. I've shared it recently. And people have said to me, I see this verse, but I have, I have a question, Pastor. I feel condemned. I feel like I just keep blowing it. And naturally, they assume that it's God condemning them. But we can feel condemned for so many different reasons. We can feel condemned because other people are condemning us. We can feel condemned because our own conscience is condemning us, perhaps wrongly. But your conscience is a wonderful thing. But it can also get things wrong. Lastly, we can feel condemned because the enemy is condemning us. That's what he does. That's his job. We have to remember that God's word will always trump your feelings. God's word will always trump your feelings. You might feel condemned. You might feel like a failure. You might feel like you just keep blowing it and blowing it and blowing it. I was talking to somebody dealing with addiction problems last night on the phone. And I said to them what I said to my daughters over and over again. You are more than the choices that you make. There's a good conscience there that I don't like how I feel right now because I did something bad or I failed somebody or I failed Jesus. But God is not condemning you. He loves you. The big difference is when you see someone in your life. I had a friend in my life go years ago go through some very difficult, something very difficult, something I didn't agree with, something I wasn't happy about. Not only me, but biblically. 
And I remember he told the story, and he told the story, and he told the story, and when he was done, I just let it sit there for a minute. I said, okay, I love you. I love you. We'll walk through this together. Because just like with my kids, when they make bad choices, I want to get closer to them. Because I don't want them going out to some idiot out there telling something. I want them to come to me. And God is a jealous God. He wants us to come to Him. He is close to the brokenhearted. And, and with addiction or any other sin, we can get to that point where we feel so convicted that we begin to think of ourselves as a failure. And we begin to think that I just keep messing up. I just keep messing up, God. I keep failing you. I keep failing you. And we want to walk away from God. And we think we're in trouble. And we don't. But God's God, no, I want to get close to that broken heart. I want to get close to that. I want to get closer to you. And I want you to look to me for the solution. I want you to look to me to resist temptation. I want you to look to me, the Lord would have you know. Yes, you're weak, but I am strong. Cast all your cares on him. God's word will trump your own sense of condemnation. God's word will trump what others are putting on you. When we come to God, we receive forgiveness at the cross, and that condemnation is gone forever. He didn't say, it is finished except for the condemnation. I'll get to that later. He said, it is finished. Remember, as believers, we stand before God, but we don't stand in judgment or condemnation. We stand, it'll be a judgment of reward. Our condemnation has already been born in the person of Jesus Christ. He was condemned for you. He was condemned for me. And when Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. Even when the enemy is condemning us, it is finished. When other people are condemning us, it is finished. We need to know that we are free from condemnation. And the Lord, through David, speaks in the last verse of Psalm 34, verse 22. The Lord redeems the souls of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And that means, redeem means to purchase back. The Lord has purchased back by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and hanging on a cross for you and me. And now we are his servants waiting on the Lord. And because we are taking refuge in the blood of the Lamb, we are never going to be condemned. So come, taste, see that the Lord is good. Oh, Father, can we all stand and we'll close in prayer? I don't know if we're done. I just know, God, there are people out here that have beaten themselves up. They've had their own expectations of what they think they should be able to handle and what they should be able to do and what they should be able to take and what they should be able to obey and not obey. They have their own definitions, but God, you have a completely different definition. That God, it says, come to you, taste and see. Come to you. We look to you, God. 
We look to you for all of it. Whether it's in transition today and looking forward in the future for Mount Zion Church and for my family, or God, whether it's just somebody dealing with addiction that just keeps blowing it, that God, I would pray this morning, they look to you. Whether it's a healing in their body, their soul, their mind, their emotions, that they would look to you. That God, this kind of fear of the Lord is a good thing. And that we want to walk in the promises that David has placed in the book of Psalm here. So Father, I hope everyone walks out with their head high knowing that the Lord Jesus has covered us with his righteousness and saved us and that we have the gratitude that says to this year when we taste and see Christmas that we taste and see you Lord and that we think of all the things that we're going to be tasting throughout the rest of this month that we remember we are going to look to you we're going to look to you God no matter what the situation is we're going to look to you God no matter what difficulties we're going through we're going to look to you no matter how broken our families are we're going to look to you no matter how broken our finances are we're going to look to you God no matter how hopeless it might look we're going to look to you Lord Jesus now Father be who you are our Savior thank you thank you thank you thank you God let this word from you today God move us and in the name of Jesus Mount Zion Church said Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Remember, we're off uh, on our Wednesday nights, and I will see you next Sunday.